lesson this evening from Luke chapter 13. It's one of those uh, gospel lessons that you read it, and then when the congregation responds with, this is the gospel of the Lord, thanks be to God, it just feels um, because it doesn't feel like this statement of gospel. It sounds like harsh judgment. See, Jesus, he was teaching these great crowds and in fact, earlier Luke tells us that there were thousands gathered around Jesus listening to him teach. And as he's instructing the crowds using parables and telling these stories, talking about the kingdom of God, he's approached by a few people who they report to him the actions of Pilate, who was a ruler in the region of, of Jerusalem. You see, what Pilate had done is he had slaughtered a number of Galileans, mixing their blood with the temple sacrifices. Now, this would have likely taken place during the Passover when people from Galilee would have been uh, in Jerusalem, worshiping at the temple and offering their sacrifices there. And so you can imagine the offense that this would cause to the Jewish the abomination that this would be, mixing blood with the holy sacrifices that were supposed to be payment for sin. And so they bring this news to Jesus as if to elicit some sort of response from him. Whether they're looking to sort of entrap him and get him to, to criticize the actions of Pilate so they can bring in an accusation against him, or, or maybe they're looking to, to cause some sort of revolt or uprising. But whatever their reason is, Jesus, he doesn't take the bait. And instead, he responds with this question. He asks them, do you think that this happened to these Galileans because they were worse sinners than the rest of the people in Galilee? Now, you have to imagine that this Jesus asked them this question, that the, the faces of the people just went blank as they were dumbfounded. And Jesus, looking out at the crowd, he responds to his own question. He says, no, it wasn't because they were worse off sinners. But unless you repent, you will perish in the same way. Then he continues with this other example. He says, what about those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed. What about them? Were they worse sinners than others in Jerusalem? Was God punishing them for their extraordinary wickedness? And Jesus says again, no, that's not it at all. But unless you repent, you will also perish. You know, this, uh, this interaction with the crowd from Jesus, it should really invite us to, to stop and, and, and consider how do we view suffering? How do we view pain in life? Whether it's in our own life, from sickness or, or mourning the death of loved ones, or, or from broken relationships, or, or looking out at the suffering in our world due to poverty and, and hunger and 
and senseless violence and war. How do we view this suffering? Do we look at it and try and say, God must be punishing people, or God must be punishing me because of some sin? How do we view suffering in the world? Do we view it as if we have this God who works on a system of punishment and reward? Right? If you do good things, then good things will come to you in life. And if you do bad things, well, then you'll get bad things. Is that how we view suffering? When we see suffering, do we see the source of it, the reason for it, the cause, or do we view it as an opportunity to flee to God and seek his mercy? You see, I think the response of Jesus invites us to do the latter. He says, as you look at these horrific events, the slaughtering of these Galileans and mixing their blood with the sacrifices, as you look at those who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, this wasn't God's punishment for some sin. We don't seek the cause. That's a fruitless effort. But when we see suffering, we should see this as a cause to repent. To seek Christ, to flee to his mercy. To throw ourselves at the foot of the cross. After Jesus responds to the crowd, he continues with this parable. This parable of the barren fig tree. He says there was this owner of a vineyard, and, and he had this fig tree that had it borne three whole years. And he comes to the vineyard, and he tells the vine dresser, I want to cut that tree down. It's, it's a waste of space. But the vine dresser pleads on behalf of the tree. He says, no, 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 no don't, don't cut it down quite yet. Let me dig around it. Let me, let me cultivate the soil. Let me fertilize and spread some manure on it. And then, just wait. Give it one more year. And if it bears fruit after that year, well then good. If it doesn't bear fruit, then, then you can cut it down. Now as we take this parable and light up interaction that comes right before us. We have to ask ourselves, how does God go about cultivating fruit in us? Does he cultivate fruit in us by pouring out blessing upon blessing? Or does God perhaps sometimes allow suffering in our lives? So that we would bear the fruit of repentance and desire. Perhaps suffering exists so that we would stop telling ourselves that we have all the answers. So that we would stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting solely in the mercy of God. Right, I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians. As he writes about that thorn in his flesh. 
And he says that that thorn in his flesh was sent by God to torment him so that he wouldn't become conceited because of the vision that he had. So that he wouldn't become conceited. And Paul pleads with God, take this thorn away from me. Take away the torture and the anguish. And God actually says no. Say, says, my grace is sufficient for you. See, it's in the midst of Paul's suffering that he discovers the sufficiency of God's grace in his mercy. That Paul recognizes that he need not trust in himself, but instead to trust in the goodness and the mercy of God. That God's grace is sufficient to sustain us in the face of suffering. To grant us life when there's nothing but death all around us. You know, I think of uh, a family member of mine, my grandpa, uh, on my mom's side. Uh, he was a, uh, a good uh, Danish Lutheran, uh, very, very pious man. And he was uh, perhaps one of the most uh, faithful people that I have ever met. Faithful to his family, to the work that he'd been called to. He, he gave uh, extremely generously. But toward the end of his life, he was afflicted with a, a great deal of health problems. Even though his entire life he took extremely good care of himself. In fact, if he uh, had not dealt with the health problems that he made at the end of his life and was still alive today, I'm fairly certain uh, he would still be able to, to take me that life at 80 years of age. And I look at the end of his life and I can't help but think that affliction, that's not somehow punishment for sin, then I am terrified of the things that may be coming my way. You see, we have a God who doesn't work on this system of reward and punishment. But we have a God who sometimes allows suffering so that we would cling to the one thing that matters. We have a God who is willing to strip away everything else to cultivate in us the fruit that he desires. Who's willing to sometimes maybe spread a little bit of manure on our lives so that we would no longer be dead, but we, that we would be living and actually bear fruit. C.S. Lewis, who is a, a very well-known writer. He has this book uh, where he actually addresses this problem of suffering. And people often uh, return and, and point to suffering uh, as a way to uh, really sort of call the Christian faith into question. If God is, is good and loving and just and, and if he's all powerful, then, then why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow suffering Either he must not be all-powerful or he must not be all that loving. And here's how C.S. Lewis responds to this issue in his book, The Problem of Pain. 
that pain insists upon being attended. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. Or shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, pain and suffering, it invites us To go there and seek and find the God who makes himself known in the midst of our suffering. The one who promises to draw near to us and who bears suffering on our behalf. It's in the face of suffering that we seek God's voice. The voice that is calling to you. Calling you to come and trust in his mercy. To trust in that promise that his sufficient. And we turn to him trusting 